really loud. Can you turn me down a little bit? Test, test, that's better. Thank you. All right, good morning. Welcome back. Um, let me pray. We'll begin. Father, we thank you so much for another chance to explore the topic of biblical sexuality. We thank you for the conversations we've been able to have and the things we've been able to cover. And as we continue this journey, uh, we acknowledge again our need for your help, Lord. You are the giver of wisdom. Um, and we, we again ask for wisdom on these things. We pray that um, you would uh, teach us more and more of how to be lights in this world, how to um, look more and more like your son in the way we relate to each other, in the way we relate to our neighbors. And um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the high schoolers. They're um, joining us today. So we're excited to have you guys join us today. Um, also, one quick announcement. Uh, they are looking for one more per They're needing one more person this morning during the worship service for nursery. So if you are able or willing to help with nursery this morning to fill in last minute, uh, go talk to Morgan uh, for, for the worship service. They are looking for one more person. Um, we are theoretically going to be finishing our um, now five-part series on homosexuality and transgender. It's, I, if you can even imagine, I had originally planned to cover both of them in one session, and uh, I'm thankful now that it's drawn out through some good questions that have come up, and just as I've studied it more, um, just more things that have come up that I thought were worth covering. So we're now hopefully going to finish that portion today, first, you know, 10 or so, 10 or 15 minutes, um, and then we're going to shift gears to talk about pornography. Um, so, and I'll have a video to show, um, and a video interview to show for that. Um, you know, I, I, as I started out this part of the, the class, I, I mentioned that I don't need to convince you of the relevance of this topic, and, and that came up again this week. Uh, where it was very much in the news, especially in the sports world. You probably saw that there was a swimmer um, winning some races uh, in the women's uh, NCAA championships who was a transgender woman. So it was definitely all over the news again this week. Um, so the last time we kind of finished talking about the biblical posture. We had talked two weeks ago about the biblical position on um, homosexuality and transgender, and then we talked about biblical posture last week, and there was um, just a few things I wanted to say at the end, um, a little bit more specifically, kind of as an appendix, um, and so I'm going to, so this is what we talked about last week, and then I just said that um, I wanted to mention some things, some specific things about transgenderism in adolescence as well as the question of, you know, using their new name or um, using their preferred pronoun. A few thoughts on that. So, adolescence. Um, so, there's, there's transgender struggles that we've, you know, talked about in this class. Um, and again, if, if you are just joining us and you've missed the last couple of weeks, just know that we've covered, you know, an in-depth 
kind of look at what the scriptures say about these things, and those are all recorded, and you can go back and listen to those on our website um, if you want to be brought up to speed, because we are kind of just parachuting into a very specific thing now. But um, yeah, so with adolescence, so there's transgender struggles um, in general, um, but there's also been kind of an added layer to um, the, the discussions around transgender and gender dysphoria, dysphoria in the last 10 years that's a little bit different. Um, it's very similar. There's lots of overlap, but there's a little bit difference. So I don't want to minimize, you know, the struggles of those, um, you know, especially who may be connected to those with uh, struggling with gender dysphoria and such. Um, but I've been reading a little bit on some unique challenges in adolescence for this. There's, there's kind of two trends that, that kind of go with this that have been trends for the last 10 years. One is just the, the skyrocketing numbers of teenagers who are, um, you know, expressing uh, gender dysphoria, expressing, um, you know, a, a desire to transition to be the other gender. Um, overall, I mean, if you zoom out to the, you know, those numbers can be like, whoa, this, this is skyrocketing, but it actually still in the grand scheme of things, the numbers are still very low. Um, but uh, there's been a, a huge increase, for example, even in Sweden, there's been a 15, um, 1,500% increase in teenage girls in Sweden from 2008 to 2018 who kind of were going to get help for or, or wanting to transition. Um, and so that the one trend is just the, the increase in numbers in the last 10 to 15 years. The other trend is that it's become more, uh, there's been way more females that are expressing this struggle than males. It used to be a lot more males, um, you know, before 15 years ago. Um, but, but another interesting trend is that the numbers have very much shifted where this has become more um, female dominant, at least in, in, in the adolescence. And... Um, a gal named Abigail Schreier, I don't know if I'm saying that right, she wrote this book recently called uh, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters. So she's speaking specifically to the trend in um, teenage women. And a couple things interesting about Abigail Schreier is she actually is um, transgender affirming. She, we'd actually, I don't think she's a Christian. Um, she, uh, for those who are like 18 and older, who are mature adults in her mind, like she, she very much affirms people who want to transition. But, but she's done a lot of research on um, some things going on in the teenage world that um, has got, given her lots of concern. And, um, and so it's just, it's, it's an interesting uh, resource uh, that I've, I've actually not read the book. I've read a lot about the book and a lot of like summaries of the book, but I've not actually read the book, so I'll give that disclaimer. But, um, you know, she, I think that she came up with the phrase, maybe she didn't, but she kind of popularized the phrase that's, the phrase is rapid onset gender dysphoria. Rapid onset gender dysphoria. This is where um, a teen starts identifying as trans and it's usually in a friendship group or in a cluster uh, of, of people. It's usually not just individual. It's, 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 it's connected to a friendship group. Um, and and the, the difference with the, the rapid onset gender dysphoria is, is that it's something that all of a sudden comes on. 
Um, a lot of times with people who, um, you know, struggle with gender dysphoria, it's something they've struggled with since early childhood. I don't want to make black and white statements. There's definitely people who it, it comes on in their teenage years, and, and so it's not black and white, but the, the, one of the trends has just been that it's, it's people who've never expressed, never shown any struggles with this in their life, and that's the biggest difference that this, this trend has shown. Um, and also, just the difference in it moving from men to, to women, uh, she states that before 2012, there was no scientific literature of, of like teenage girls having dysphoria at all. It was much more commonly a boy thing. And so the, the big question then, of course, is why? Like, what is um, contributing to uh, this, this trend? And that really, I mean, I, I come at that question with all humility because uh, there, is, there is no definitive answer to that question. It's a good question. We need to explore it because it's obviously very much a trend. But um, some of the conjecture is that, you know, one thought is it's kind of the new anorexia. Um, it's a way, especially for, because I'm, I'm talking a little bit more specifically now t- uh, about rapid onset gender dysphoria with teenage girls. Um, a lot of stories are being um, listened to and, and it's coming out that a lot, ha- it starts with this perceived flaw in, in their body image and it's becoming kind of a new way to deal with negative body image um, is they're get- kind of being encouraged, well, maybe your kind of your, your distaste for your body is, um, you know, an example that you must not, you must have, you must be a trans person. Um, and so there's, there's kind of growing um, acceptance of that narrative that um, if, they, if they have struggles with their body image, then the way to cope with that is to um, identify as the other sex. Um, so th- that's, that's one of the conjectures of why this has grown. Obviously, um, you know, the the way that social media has become such a mainstay in in all of our lives, but especially in adolescent lives, um, there's also just enough evidence to show that um, because adolescents are so connected on social media that that they're learning about this and and um, learning this as a as a way to express themselves. Um, just through ways they're connected on social media or YouTube. There's a lot of YouTube videos now of um, people kind of teaching on how to deal with, you know, negative body image in this way. Um, And then, of course, you know, school counselors are more affirming of this and more accepting. So just, you know, also we're in a society now that's more pushing this and um, encouraging it. And so that is contributing, you know, if someone even has a question, like they're very much encouraged to explore being the other gender, um, not just from school counselors um, or even just counselors at large, but also definitely peers. Um, another thing they're seeing is that social groups are forming around this. It's, it's, it's almost can be. It's, I don't want to, again, I don't want to make black and white statements that this is, this is, this is why it is, but there at least is evidence that um, it's a way for some to kind of fit in. They, they join a group of people who are more uh, trans. Um, and I'll give a couple counterpoints in a minute that show that, um, it's okay, it, that um, you know, we can have some suspicion 
of s some of these trends um, based on some of the evidence uh, later in life. And then finally, it's just, you know, they're more influenceable at that age um, if they have any hints of uh, a kind of a transgender uh, mindset, they're, they're very much encouraged to explore it. So some counterpoints to um, that trend that, you know, Abigail Schreier talks about in that Irreversible Damage book, but also that I've found in other um, resources is it's, it's interesting to note that in Europe and in Australia and New Zealand, um, they're, they are really starting to kind of pump the brakes on encouraging teenagers who are um, expressing gender dysphoria. Um, you know, because the, the, Europe was, is kind of a little bit further down the road than us in these things. They were, they were encouraging these things kind of more before it was popular in America. Um, but now, you know, France, Sweden, Finland, there's so many examples of European countries and Australia and New Zealand where they're like, hold up, we need to, um, now, they're now starting to see negative effects of just encouraging um, adolescents who are struggling with this to start taking hormone blockers, puberty blockers, um, even having surgeries. You know, that was always the first thing. It's just, yeah, we'll start, start trying this out. Start taking these different... Um, uh, ways to transition. Um, but now, in Europe, um, they are saying that the first recommended thing is psychological and psychiatric support. Um, and so, yeah, it's just an interesting um, development. Um, obviously, in America, that's the opposite. And so, like, what, what some people are writing about is, okay, you know, all these other countries that are further than us, they're starting to say the first line of defense should be psychiatric and uh, psychological support, whereas in America, it's, it's much more, hey, encouraging it, affirming it, and, and encouraging them to start taking some of these um, substances that would help them transition. Another, yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why the book's called Irreversible Damage. You know, that's exactly right. Um, and so, you know, another thing that, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of research going on on this, but what they're finding is 70 to 90% of adolescents who struggle with, with gender dysphoria, for lack of a better term, grow out of it by the time they're 18. I think that's a significant thing. Yes, Emily. Um, that's a good question. Um, I would, my, my general answer would be that's definitely can be part of it for some. Like I said, um, I think the beginning of last lecture, when you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. Like every story is very unique. Uh, that's, what, that's, that's probably the main takeaway that I've found is that you, there's, it's very hard to make blanket statements about this, but I know that that's definitely um, part of it where abuse can make them just kind of hate, especially if it's sexual abuse, kind of hate their gender and, and want to be different. That was part of, um, I think, Laura Perry's story. So, um, you know, and then another strategy is to try and scare the parents that their, their teenager will commit suicide if they don't um, transition. Um, but, you know, a counterpoint to that is that suicide rates are equal 
between those who don't transition um, and those after they transition, uh, that the suicide rates are the same. And so that's actually not as strong of an argument. Um, but that's probably one of the main arguments that will be given to encourage um, this. Laura Perry, who um, I mentioned last time, who um, is someone who's kind of a very much an activist, if you will, on the Christian side of things, who, who did transition and then came to Christ and kind of detransitioned, if you will, back to become, being a woman and embracing her, her womanhood. And in a talk that I listened to that she gave at a, a church in Charlotte, one of the things she mentioned is just there's thousands upon thousands, because she's interacting with the transgender community and, and even those who've struggled with it. Um, she says thousands upon thousands regret transitioning, but you never hear their stories. You know, their stories are never shown. So those are just a few, few um, thoughts that um, I've come across. I've not studied this in depth. Um, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on this, but I, I, I felt like it was worth making you aware of that trend, that kind of specific uh, trend in the transgender world. So that's what I wanted to say about adolescence and rapid onset gender dysphoria. Um, and then another question that comes up a lot is, you know, this new reality of if you are, have a relationship with someone um, who, you know, is transgender or exploring that, um, whether to use their new name that they come up with and um, their, their preferred pronouns. And this, you know, this was in the news again recently. Uh, um, a teacher in Kansas, Pamela Ricard, public school teacher who's a Christian, um, you know, she kind of stood her ground and said, I'm not going to use preferred pronouns. I, I, I do think she also said she's not going to use their preferred name. Um, but she, I, 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 forgive me, I don't remember all the details, but essentially uh, got removed from her position and she's filing um, uh, a lawsuit or, or kind of trying to sue the, the public school district that she was a part of because she, didn't, she wasn't given a religious exemption. And so this is kind of an, a reality that's becoming more, maybe even for some of you at work, of just, um, you know, how, how can I, what does it look like to have my Christian convictions but also be a light at work? Um, this, again, this is not something I have all the answers to. These are complicated things. But, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a battle right now on whether... Um, there can be religious exemption to some of these rules that are, are coming more and more into play. So using their new name, um, I, in my humble opinion, I think on name, I personally would be willing to um, use the, their preferred name. Uh, some things that make me think about that is that names are a little more arbitrary. Um, I have a different view on pronouns, but names are a little more arbitrary. I mean, think about the people in your life who don't go by their birth name. They go by a nickname. There's even people at Redeemer like that. Um, they maybe go, you know, by a middle name or a shortened name. But also, um, people change their names often. Um, there's also some, I would say, I, I want to be careful with this, but there's a little bit of biblical precedent for this. Um, we love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you remember, that's actually not their birth names. Those are the names that were given to them by the Babylonian authorities. Daniel also was given a Babylonian name. Bible trivia, what was Daniel's Babylonian name? Belteshazzar. Um, there's, there's some connections to, you know, some of the Babylonian cults that 
have some play into the, some of those names they were given, and yet, you know, they're the the Bible is very much willing to, you know, not have any flaws with them being called those new names. Um, and then also, you know, if 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 your con- if your conscience convicts you to to not do it, I think you would just have to be consistent. So, for example, if you ever are if, if Muhammad Ali ever comes up in conversation, you would have to be consistent and call him Cassius Clay because um, Muhammad Ali is his Muslim name. So just think about like how we are, you know, I think most of us are, you know, pretty used to calling him Muhammad Ali, which is his Muslim, a Muslim name he took on. Yes. Male to female name. Yep. So I think Laura Perry, she she was. Um, I forget. I don't know. Yeah, you, that just went. Sorry, man. So yeah, it's it's if so if it's a male identifying as a female and takes on a female name, I'm saying that I would I would address them with their new female name. I, that, and I'm not saying that that's what you should do. I'm just kind of giving my humble approach um, because I just I, I think that names are more arbitrary um, in that respect. Um, but pronouns, I have a different position. Um, so pronouns, I think, you know, one of my encouragements to you is to ultimately go with your conscience, and that's a whole nother, you know, big discussion on conscience, but I think the, the summary I would give is as long as your conscience is informed by Scripture, uh, I want you to, you know, make sure you know what is meant by conscience. But, um, and I think a practical thing I'll say about pronouns is that they rarely, I mean, think about when you're talking to someone in relationship. You rarely use a third-person pronoun when you're talking to them. You know, he, she, you, you don't, you refer to them in first-person pronouns, um, or, or second-person, sorry, in second-person pronouns when you're talking to them. Uh, third-person pronouns really come up when they're out of the room, when you're referring, you're talking about them. It, it, it happens um, when you're with them. So, you know, practically, you're actually not going to have many instances where um, you're using the third person when you're with them in the room. Yes, Ivan. Yeah, I, I had given definitions a couple of weeks ago, and one of them was uh, Z. There's, there's like, they instead of she, he, it's like Z. And that's, yeah, I mean, again, and I'll also give the disclaimer. This is, this is me talking more theoretically. I, I, this is not something I've had to deal with yet in my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is what I would do um, if I had a relationship with someone who was asking me to use a different pronoun. Um, Yep, yep, and they, yep. And so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of um, complications and a lot of complexity is the better word. There's a lot of complexity here, but I, I, what I'm thinking of, Ivan, is mainly if, if a, uh, someone whose biological sex is male is asking you to refer to them as a female, as she. Um, but there's more complexity to it than that, and so what I'm about to say mainly applies to that um, I think it gets yeah more complicated when you're talking about they or it. Yes. 
businesses, people will make very clear how they identify, even if they're biological females, they'll put, you know, she, her as part of their tagline on their email, really, again, just to show support that while I was born a female, I'm going to identify as a female and inform you that that's how I identify. Mm -hmm. And that's just their way of, I think, showing support yeah. for the transgender community. Yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's a great example. That's a great example of, you know, some of what's going on. Um, you know, I think for me at this point, I know it, it can get more challenging when it's like becomes real for you and it's someone you love who's in your life, which I know some of you have had to deal with. But um, at this point, um, my convictions are that I would stick with their birth pronoun. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, my ultimate loyalty is to God. Um, and I serve God rather than man whenever that's in conflict. Um, and so, but again, I, that's why I mentioned, con I think there, are, there, are, there is some disagreement in the Christian evangelical world on this. Um, and I haven't read all of the arguments on either side. Um, I wish I could, you know, give you more um, of um, that, but I, I could probably point you to some resources that dig a little deeper into this. Um, and so there, there is disagreement, but where I am is that I would, I would stick with their birth pronoun, uh, just the simple fact of, uh, you know, God created them, they are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I want to I wanna be loyal to, to God ultimately, and this God was very intentional, very creative, and, and um, very much made them the gender they are, and I think the Bible teaches us not only that um, our, our biological sex and our gender are, are one, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, but also just the Bible also calls us to, um, you know, praise the Lord and give thanks to the Lord for the way he's made us. Part of that is um, accepting um, our gender, and I think that that's a creational thing. It's, it's not just a Christian thing. I think it's a creational thing, and so... Um, you know, I would simply ask them to respect my conscience on that. Um, and if I'm, if, if I'm kind of pushed against as intolerant for that, um, I would try as kindly as I could and as gently as I could to kind of ask them, well, what do you mean by intolerant? Um, and, you know, I, most likely there would be some sort of definition around, you know, not accepting someone else's view on something. And I would try to just gently show them, okay, so you are being intolerant then of my convictions. Um, that's where it just gets tricky. Um, so I don't have any easy answers to this, but that's, that's how I think about it. Um, so any other questions or thoughts? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Daniel was saying Abraham, Abram, Jacob, Israel, 
Those were all given mm-hmm. by someone else. They weren't volunteered. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair that's a fair point. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you, Marsha. Brandon, were you going to say something? <laughs> no, just really quick. The sliding scale, I think I mentioned before, too, but the fluidity in terms yeah. of it, you know, whereas we maybe think of, like, there are cases, like, say, you meet one, you've not you've met one transgender person, but yeah. there's also this, um, you know, even people who maybe don't identify as trans one day, they do another day, and they say, like, today I feel more like a she. Right. Yeah. It's a stumbling point that's designed to be a stumbling point. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I think Bruce, I'm going to I'm going to now give Bruce No, all right. Uh Allison, yes.
Yeah. No, that's that's helpful, Allison. I appreciate it. Suzanne? No, that's a good point. And, you know, I think it was statement 11 of that PCA position paper was on friendship. Um, and that was uh, something I forgot to mention last week on just kind of our posture and just the importance. Uh, this is kind of going with what Allison was saying, too, of just the church needing to be a place where, you know, especially those with same-sex attraction, most of them are single. Um, and also those with gender dysphoria, many of them are single as well. And... Um, you know, especially as we think about the church, is just being a place where they can find friendship. And I'm speaking now more towards believers who are, would admit that this is a struggle that they don't want, um, of just the importance of the church being a place where that can be family to them. Um, but uh, yeah, what you said about um, just the, the, the hope of you know, an unbeliever in these things, of them um, recognizing their sin and their need for Christ. I mentioned that last week. And but yeah, you also mentioned like we can't compromise, and so this is this is where at least my own conviction is that you know um, folding on on pronoun it would be a compromise in my own heart. But yeah, it, it looks it doesn't look the same in every conversation. Megan. Wow, now that's a helpful example. 
that's definitely also part of the reality that's going on. So that's great that you have that relationship and that you've been able to be that space for her. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully, I know the light is shining, obviously, and hopefully God can use that in some way. All right, Bruce, your turn. You've been so patient. So you, you look at this and you say, we have a society that is clearly working against us. And you have children that are in places where this kind of stuff is happening. So I can, I, can I see what you're talking about from a church point of view? But in the world point of view, practically how we're interacting with it, how, how do you act in those situations? I mean, I, I find it abhorrent that, that a school wants to keep information from parents. At the same time, you know, we have these problems going on with kids and their, their confusion, right? So where do we play in that? How do, how do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I thought of, as you were talking several weeks back when we uh, talked about expressive individualism and then Carl Truman, where he's writing a huge book on that, he has written a huge book on it, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. At the end of it, he gives like four directives to the church of like, okay, here's things we need to really uh, be for. And one of them is, um, I forget the language he uses, but essentially what he's saying is really um, be champions for just natural law. And um, I think that can be a way to, um, and, and again, this is not a, very well thought out answer for you Bruce but I'm I'm just thinking of of, you know that that can be at least a connection point um, with the broader world of um, just natural law and and kind of the way this world is created and designed and and again there's disagreement on that but I think that can be potentially one one way that we can um, try and engage in these things with the broader world um, and, and kind of point to that um, but it sounds like what you're, you're asking is how, how do we, for example, engage with a, a, a school system that would have parents uh, relate to their kids in a way that we just disagree with? Is that essentially what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the opposite where they're just also keeping that information. Right. So, so right. There's no cooperation. There's no, you know, shared goal. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean... I even know people in our own church who are trying to have discussions about these things with the, you know, the authorities at the school. And, and I think that's one way to just have a very you know, loving, gentle, but firm conversation on you know, what do you mean by this? What, you know, getting them talking. On, on, and a lot of them are just doing what the even higher-ups are telling them. And so 
you know, this is maybe where um, remembering, um, you know, having a strong sense of what is, what is, um, what is citizen, what does faithful citizenship look like uh, biblically? And I know there's disagreements on that um, amongst Christians, but um, how can we um, be an influence for sort of the the creational intent of this world um, in our society, where we're seeing? Uh, ways they're going against the, the creational intent that, that we so strongly um, are convicted of. I, yeah, I don't have um, black and white answers to that good question. Um, what would you do in the, that situation, Bruce? To be honest with you, it would, I, I recognize every parent would have something different. Yeah. But when I, when I don't have a shared commitment for what I would consider best interest in flourishing in my child, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. No, that that is definitely a whole other discussion on, you know, as if where things are trending and where things seem to be going, um, what is it what does it look like for um, you know, Christians to to inhabit those spaces with grace and convicted truth. Um and, and those are I know hard decisions many Christian parents are having to make these days and and they're making different decisions um in different areas with different children but um no that's a that's a great question that i think is worth um you know exploring and which which i do thank you for bringing this up because i think it also says what do we do as a church to support the community of believers here yeah yeah you know what do we as a church right absolutely absolutely Yes, Tony Pate. Yeah. Thanks. Yes, Bob, last last comment. Yeah, one, one, yeah, this is the last one. Um, I, this is a very scary topic for people. 
people who have never dealt with it before, and a lot of people have, and it's, you see it coming, it's a juggernaut. And it's really possible to, I think, to look at it um, in a way that is refreshing. Mm -hmm. um, and the scripture tells us that this kind of thing is coming. Yeah. And I think that that should be some security for us. Absolutely. We have this body of believers for help. And I think one thing that helps me in these situations is to think of these as opportunities, and it's already been mentioned, think of these as opportunities for the gospel. Yeah. Which is sin. Yep. Yep. Else. Right. And the gospel is the answer for sin. Absolutely. And we can look at every encounter that we have, and it's, I think it would take a little study on our part to connect the dots between. Yeah. I don't feel like a woman to the gospel, but right. if we were thoughtful and took that time, I think we could have a preparation or at least some guide for ourselves about how to connect the dots and Yep. Maybe it all at one time to take it directly to Christ. Right. Then the gospel and that the gospel is what will heal the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Christopher Yuan does that a little bit in his book, The Gospel and Holy Sexuality, um, of just maybe one thing to focus on is identity. You know, starting with sin may not always be as helpful, but talking about identity and where should our identity lie. Um, you know, and having a conversation on that can lead to you being able to share your identity in Christ and, and what that means. And But that's a great point, Bob. And that is definitely a complicated um, but good um, endeavor to, to know how can we winsomely engage um, these things with the gospel that we need to do. So, all right, so... I thought I'd just take 10 to 15 minutes on that. Glad for all the questions and comments. This is super helpful um, because I know many of you, this is more of a reality for you in your life than it is for me right now. Um, and so it's helpful to be able to hear um, from, from all of you. I appreciate the, the comments and the questions and the feedback. Um, I think that does wrap up our time with this. I was just going to end with here's some recommended books on it. Um, but you can talk to me. Um, if you want more of that or email me and I'm happy to, to talk more about that. All right, Father, thanks for this time. Um, obviously, uh, some complicated and, and oftentimes it feels like a heavy topic. And um, as we said, I pray that you just help us remember um, that you have overcome the world, that uh, you are the king of this world, that as Psalm 2 says, uh, you laugh at, at those who, who think that they're trying to take take over the world, and um, so would we be reminded of your sovereignty and your goodness, um, and would you help us to continue to, to be lights? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.